This has been my third conversation for this podcast with Birla. She had a question for me from a follow-up question from last, last conversation we had, where I had just sent in a proposal, a business proposal, which I'm really, really grateful that she asked me about that, if I'd heard anything, because it made me again land deeply in the importance of context. How context plays such a huge part in in my experience of, of where I'm at, what is going on and how I'm dealing with it. Context means so much. And then we went into self-made men or women versus groups and how you can, there's strength to be had in both and you can be accomplishing things on your own in a way that serves you can be a part of a group in a way that serves or you can do both of those in ways that don't serve that actually carve so discernment again a muscle to be used and strengthened and the only way to strengthen muscles is to use them so go out and use your discernment. I hope your discernment right now will tell you to keep on listening. So I hope you enjoy. You're here. Yeah. Yeah. Can't remember how long it's been since we talked. A month? A few weeks. Yeah, about that. Yeah, I wonder if it was on the 6th. Yeah, so, I think And so. it's the 3rd of August today, so it's been yeah. a month. So, like, almost four weeks. <laughs> or exactly. It is. It is warm here today. It is 20 or it's 30 degrees Celsius, which means kind of ish 92 in the 90s. Uh, but I've hardly not been out at all. I've just been stuck in front of the computer. Oh, really? By, yeah. By, not by choice, but rather by well, work. Yeah. But I mean, it is by choice that I'm working in a sense. I could have taken. Mm. More vacation, but I will be headed off on vacation for a week at least uh, this next week. So 
Lovely. I'm trying to honor that by, you know, really saying I won't do any work related stuff. Yeah. And I really should, because it's, it's good to disconnect now and again. Yeah, very much. Can I follow up about something yeah. we talked about last time? Go ahead. I was wondering how your proposal went and if you heard back from the people. I did not. Okay. Or, no, I didn't. In a sense, you can say, no, I have not heard back from them on that. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's one of those, yeah, it's interesting. It's interesting to work with different companies. It's in, interesting to work with different people, different constellations and to kind of spot what's going on, you know, what's, mm -hmm. what's the culture? What are you supposed to do here? How are you supposed to be here? How are you not supposed to be? How, what are you not supposed to do? And I'm just, you know, I'm reflecting on that quite a lot. It's been, cause I mean, I still work in that or with that, with those people. Oh, um, well. so I work with them. It's just, I'm not, um. That specific aspect, I'm not doing, I'm not at the moment doing that type of training. How did it feel to you? I, I wonder because I'm, for me, when there's no response, that's one of the hardest way to be rejected. Because no response you mean, means often that you can't even address the subtle rejection that has occurred. Mm -hmm. And for me personally, that's a pretty. That's a hard one. Yeah. I, I but... don't have a lot of mental, emotional shield against that. And I wonder mm -hmm. how has that played for you? So I would say it hasn't played <laughs> like that at all, actually. Oh, wow. Which might be. A, um, okay, so this is interesting. Had this been 15 years ago, shattered, you know, no worth, nobody wants me. I'm worthless. I suck. I think I would have had all of those emotions <laughs> to it. I'm not there at all with this. That's not to say that I can't experience that of in course. a similar situation even now. Of course I can. Yes. But here, no. And I wonder if it is because I do have insight, so to speak. I mean, I, I am working with these people anyway, and I know kind of the setup. Ah, so yes. it's, it's rather, okay. I'm not so surprised. You know, you have like, context. 
I have context, yes, precisely. I have context that tells me why. Yeah. Um. And that context makes all of the difference. So in a sense, it isn't really unaddressed like you. That's probably why you paused to think about it when I asked you. Yeah. Because that context provides that information to you yeah. that allows yeah. you to put it outside of your agency. Yeah, precisely. Because, I mean, I haven't gotten a direct response email saying, thank you, I will look at this, I will forward this to the relevant people, etc. It's like I've had no, like, direct response to the thing. None. But as you say, but there's context. I am inside of this project, however little I am inside of this project, but enough to kind of know how things are done, you know, and not done. Yeah. Um, and I'm... It's like, I can't say if I'm... It's like, am I happy that I haven't been sort of and that the proposal wasn't accepted? Am I not happy? Am I? It's like, it's, it's more. I'm not surprised. Yeah. It's like, it fits. Yeah. It fits the context that this is what is going on because what I am proposing, how I am in this project is counter to how this project culture is. And I just, you know. Yeah. Something you I, said I a won't. minute ago. Yeah. Was that, and I'm trying to remember exactly how you said it, was that You don't feel shattered by it, but you said it in a way that I understood to imply that um, it's because of that context that you have is why you're not shattered. And it made me wonder. Because we're going to get rejected, right? That's part of our work as freelancers, as people who contract around. <clears throat> when we outwardly and directly get rejected, how do we not shudder then? When we don't have that helpful context that makes it understood that it's not about us, it's about a misfit of some capacity or another. When it feels like there's so little information that it's entirely plausible that it is about us, then how do we not chatter? Then where do we draw the resilience I from... And I'm, 
I guess. I guess that part of my thinking about this it's probably, it's, it's quite heavily influenced by something that Steve Chandler, uh, American author and coach, speaks to, which I don't think he's the only one who speaks to, but he speaks to how yes lives in the land of no. So if, if I am, you know, elated at any joy, uh, or rather, if I'm elated at any yes and shattered at every no, I mean, there's probably more no's out there than yeses, right? So if I fear the no's, I probably will stop myself. I will refrain from asking as many times as I could, should, would like to, want to, need to. Yeah. So I think I first heard this. It's probably around 10 years ago. So I've been, I've been working this. I've been playing with this. I've been practicing with this. I've been curiously approaching no's. Curiously approaching nose. That's Curiously good. approaching nose. In the in in many senses, like you can play with it mentally. You can play with the fact that a no now is a no now. It's not necessarily a no a year in a year or in ten years, right? Because context circumstances changes. So it's a no now. It doesn't mean no forever. Except when it does, when it's clear, a few no's are that clear. It's like, no, I won't ever be interested in this. Okay. Thank you. That's great to know. As a, like you say, as, as a solopreneur, that's a really, really good piece of information because, okay, I do not need to spend any time on this. The, the no's in between the ones that are Either a clear no, but one where there's, you know, who knows, mm -hmm. or the, yeah, you know, the kind of the wishy-washy that doesn't really say no, but means no. Um, I, I've been, one of the ways I've been playing with this is by asking people questions and clearly stating I welcome any clear response. Give me a yes and I'll be thrilled. Give me a no and I'll be thrilled. So I've been kind of priming myself and my system a little bit. So I don't know if I could get a professional no that would shatter me anymore. I'm actually not sure. Because it's also the, a no is more, we're not a fit, mm -hmm. right? It's like, 
is that because of me or because of them or because of both? Well, we're not a fit. So obviously the shape that I am doesn't match up with the shape that they are. Are we wrong because of that? No, not necessarily. Right. Um, so I've been, I've been, I think I've been, I, and I'm really happy that you asked because I don't think I would have, I haven't ever really sat down and thought about this in this way, but it also, it also has one bonus aspect to this. It's like a side effect. That's a positive side effect is that when I can have quite a lot of fun in the quotation process. Yeah. I feel that I can be quite playful there in a way. So I don't know if that's also one of the reasons why there's no response to this proposal. Um, it's like, cause I had fun figuring it out. It's like, it, that's like a piece of, of the puzzle itself. It's like, how do I, how do I get this to be something that, you know, is like, okay, here's a coherent picture. I can, I can offer you this. Do you so want whole, this picture or not? Yeah. The whole journey was actually really useful, regardless mm. of the outcome. Precisely. Precisely. There's That's been a beautiful. lot of learning. Yeah. Um, also in the sense of, of like feeling that. I am not, and I felt this already before I sent the quotation, this, I don't need this. There's not a, I have to get this job. There isn't a desperation about it. Because if that desperation had been there again, yeah, probably easier to be shattered than by the no response. Which also, I mean, again, if it had been in a context where I hadn't had the context, mm -hmm. I would, of course, have reverted back more than once in yeah. various ways. I have reverted back a little, you know, it's like, but, but yeah, it's just been a, it's been a process where I have been able to be curious and playful and kind of not attached to any specific outcome. That's the best, actually. It's the best. Yeah, I know, right? Yeah, it's lovely. When you speak of it like that, I actually can say that I have multiple experiences like that where I will enjoy the legwork, yeah. the journey of the legwork, the playfulness of the legwork is really important. And I think this is how we all stay away from burnout. Yeah. Because if we can enjoy the, what Esther calls eroticism of the legwork or the the excitement of the legwork, then the result is what you get from the legwork 
internally rather than the feedback you get externally. And I feel like that's really the best way to be. And what if I can just share about me? Go ahead. I feel like there is past negative experience and the fear of it that gets in my way. And it feels like an extra obstacle that I have to constantly keep clearing. Mm. That my process and legwork, to call it just that, the journey, it can render me very vulnerable. And for a long time, I haven't felt safe being vulnerable. And so anytime I have a moment of vulnerability, after it, I experience really strong fear of mm. what have I done to myself? Have I opened myself to harm? And that feels like such an unnecessary and burdensome obstacle that I have in my process. So do you have that in your process in a way that for you feels this is innate to me? This is always there, has always been there, will always be there? Or no, this no. is a little thing that started to pop in X years ago and has just, you know, I would, kind of... I, I would say this is a huge thing that started to pop in X years ago. It isn't innate, but when it did pop in... It did so with, with a here bang. it comes. Yeah. yeah. And I find myself having to have a process for mitigating that. <laughs> Somebody called it the vulnerability hangover <laughs> or like the, after opening myself, there's just this huge process of, Oh my God, what have I done? This genie is out of the bottle. And now, not only is it out of my hands, because that's okay, it doesn't have to stay in my hands, but who is going to take it in their hands and do me harm by it and weaponize it against me? And I think actually... More than like rejection, for me, that's like the big obstacle that I'm currently experiencing is how do I not spiral in that um, post-vulnerability fear that I experience? Yeah, that's when you don't want to crash and burn. 
and it feels like it's really easy to crash and burn. You can just, yeah. 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 So how do you tend to yourself? Oof. <laughs> um, talking to friends lately has been helpful. And, you know, when you have a fear of something, somebody called it once exposure therapy. Mm -hmm. So the more you do it, the better. Which, yeah, precisely. Which is another way, another entry into the same thing that yes lives in the land of no means. Right? Yeah. You will yeah. get the yeses. You will get that, oh, there wasn't any vulnerability hung, hangover this time because I have done it and I have not crashed and burnt over and over again. Um, yep. Precisely. So... I have put myself in positions where, lately, where I have shared things about myself that I have always been afraid to share for fear of them being weaponized against me. And they haven't been. In all three cases that I can Think of recently doing it. And what I'm starting to, I hope to get to the point where it hasn't been weaponized against me so often that when it does get weaponized, I can say, okay, that's not because of my vulnerability. It's because of who handled it. But I am not there yet. Well, baby steps. Yeah. Baby steps. It's one way to, to do gen. I mean, what you're expressing is a way of doing gentle with an edge for me. It's like, okay, I am going to put this out there, but I very, with great discernment, I've chosen the friend, the setting, the moment, my state of consciousness or you know my state of mind in the moment here i will open this vulnerable part of me right actually i love that you just said that because i recently had to put a very strong boundary towards a person who kept not allowing me to pick my setting in my vulnerability. Kept making me vulnerable at times when I wasn't ready mm. to be vulnerable. <laughs> by which it made me feel very emotionally unsafe. And I've had to really almost drastically put a boundary of you are not in my field of vision. <laughs> because 
that's one thing. It's so funny because I think of myself as a person who knows how to like ask for my needs, but that's one need that I haven't allowed myself to ask for is that I be allowed to conjure the setting in which I become vulnerable, that I'm not thrown into a free fall of vulnerability and fear by somebody else's desire, whim, timing, whichever it is. And, and I mean, I think one of the, I'm, I'm reminded of, of the way that I think of shame, which mm -hmm. is that shame has me put things away in the darkness. I lock it away. I, I push it down, hidden from sight. And the only way to release shame, to let shame transform into something else, is to bring it out into the light. And if I do that with the wrong people, or at the wrong time, I can get shamed so fucking bad again. I know. That all of a sudden, it's not three layers down, it's like 15 layers down, right? I just hype or pile on more of the, no, I won't ever go there again. So the discernment, like talk about discernment being a muscle. It is really, really a muscle that I would say is there innately. We have this, but if we do not practice it, if we do not work it, it's going to atrophy and die, right? Which I think, yeah, it causes a lot of harm not to be discerning. And I've been, I've been working this quite a lot um, in the past Two years, maybe, discernment has been a, a, a word that I've been actively engaging in. And I really enjoy, uh, um, I enjoy the word. I, 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 I like it, right? I think maybe you and I, we spoke about discernment and judgment, We right? sure did. Yeah. yeah. So, again, if I am discerning, Chances are my vulnerability hangover after bringing up something that I'm ashamed of or putting a clear boundary in place in a way that I haven't before or anything. You know, it's like if I'm, if I'm using, if I'm working that muscle, chances are also that Things will keep on flowing rather than stop, hold, fester, get stagnant. It's like there's, there's a flow to it that the discernment can tell me. And for me, not telling everybody, but rather say, okay, this thing I will share with a few select people. 
period. Not everybody needs to know everything about me. And I sure don't need to know everything about everybody else. You know, it's like, it's, 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 it's not a bad thing. I actually think that, yeah, I agree. I just think that I'm talking about a slightly different, like, nuance of it. Where I have always known that I need to have that discernment of when, how, whom, why. But there's a piece of discernment that I have been missing. And it goes to a cultural thing. Like I live in the U.S., but I come from a different culture. The U.S. culture is very me-centric. I pull myself up by my bootstraps. I help myself. I am self, 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 self. Mm -hmm. And I think there is an incredibly positive aspect of not having a learned helplessness in that culture of let me first see what I can do for me. But it also comes with the other flip side of the self goes before the group. <laughs> And I come from quite the opposite, where the group goes before the self, where you take one for the team, mm. where you put your personal needs second to the bigger picture of a group, however big or small that group may be. And... Sometimes that means that you're not so self-centered and selfish and you realize that you are a part of a bigger picture. And sometimes, just like with the other way, sometimes it means that you lose yourself. <laughs> right? And what I'm finding out just in the last couple of weeks is that I haven't made a clear discernment yet of when taking one for the team means I lose myself and when putting myself first means that I'm sort of like doing one for me at the expense of the bigger team. Because it's such a fine dance between those mm. two things. And I know a lot of people who like just sort of go black and white. You either just take one for the team and lose yourself, or you always put yourself first and sod the team. You know? And I feel like that has been actually my challenge in discerning. Because for a long time... I have operated from a place of we are a team and each one of us is a part of a team. And so, yes, I will make some personal sacrifices for the team. But that hasn't been equal in all members of that team. 
and I have not been able to flip that and say, okay, if we're not equal members of that team, then I have to switch over to the other side a little bit and say, okay, if you're protecting yourself, I have to do the same. Which has come to a lot of painful experiences for me where I was trying to be a part of the, a team that actually didn't exist. It's interesting to hear you talk about this, and it's interesting to hear how you say with such the Swedish word would be självklarhet, like like it's obvious to you, obvious in the best of ways that you have a strong discerning muscle that you know that this is an important aspect of being human, to choose the when, the what, the how, etc. Because I don't know that I can look back and say that I have had that. Well, I have it now because not having it has been harmful. <laughs> so it's so how long has you had it then? Two minutes? I don't know. Two minutes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Then maybe we're more alike. <laughs> I don't think we're not alike. I, I think that this is why I like these conversations because sometimes you just formulate it when you talk to a friend. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But I have been really contemplating and I, part of like, I've started therapy and part of it has been exactly this duality of like, are you a part of the team and then you take one for the team or are you the individual who is always drawing upon themselves and the internal resources to pull yourself up by your bootstraps. And I can't say that I have had a very good discernment because I have obviously worked in one of the modalities while the people around me were not working in the same modality as me. And I think that the only reason why I have any kind of clarity about it is through all the pain I'm experiencing as a result of that disconnect of modalities. Can I can I share what I've been doing this weekend, please? Without without sharing specifics because that I won't do. But I've been to a twilight retreat for three full days with sixteen women participating, two retreat leaders and two assistants holding space and setting everything up and it's been it's like beyond description we have truly been 
in the twilight, in the shadowland, in the... in that it's at the same time a land of possibility and complete unknowns, which can be exhilarating and fucking terrifying all at once. Yeah. And hearing you speak about the team made me think of this, because this is like it's 19 women that I've not met before. Most of us hadn't met before. The team, the retreat leaders and the two assistants obviously had, and a couple of the others had met with them and or a few had met with each other, but basically not. And well, the sense of team, the sense of communion, companionship, togetherness that can arise just in three days is just astonishing. So empowering too, isn't it? It's incredibly empowering. And one of the things that I was thinking about is how it was it was one of those teams where, you know, everybody enters kind of at their own coordinate. X, Y, Z, you know, in space, you're in this moment right now. And people were like in, you know, everybody is in a different place, right? Everybody has a different background and experience and everybody, you know, different ages and different um, like stages in life and, and, you know, are you busy working? Are you at school? Are you burnt out? You know, are you on sick leave? Are you, it's like all of that. And how exquisite it is to let that just be. You know, it just is. It's not something that I need to... There's no need to kind of order us in, you know, in, you know, who's the youngest, who's the oldest, and where is everybody in between? Or it's like none of that kind of the sorting, none of that, but just, okay, here I am. And I am a human. I am a woman. And that is something that we all share. And so hearing, Others share throughout the, the days where there were a lot of ceremony, which I so enjoyed. I realized I have lived a life devoid of ceremony to a large extent, and like a really ceremonially impoverished life. A ritual, maybe. And, and both, in a sense. No, it's like really... Not a lot of it, but here, beauty and the life force in these ceremonies makes me look at why part of the ceremonies I sing in a church choir. So when we sing, it's a service, usually. And how I've never felt anywhere near 
the life force in those ceremonies as to what I experienced this weekend. So there's something there. But I think fe feeling all of us just come together yeah. and be so supportive so that the sense of the team was just like, wow, you, you are there in space. Like that's your little coordinate. And wow, we can see you. We can honor you. We can cheer you on. We can hug you and hold you and, and wipe your tears and kick you in the ass, you know, depending on what it is that you need right now. And yeah. everybody gets to do that. And how that aspect of a team is just so fantastic because listening and to the so others precarious. just enriches me yes because one person could have just turned it all around yeah. and it was none of that it was beautifully i would say held. i experienced something similar about a week ago, maybe. Yeah. Because I went to a friend's bachelorette party mm -hmm. up in the mountains. And it was seven women. And deep in the night, after a few drinks, we all went deep and vulnerable. And there was that same sense of we could hug you, we could kick your butt, we could give you feedback, or we could put a dressing on your emotional wound. Yeah. And it's really powerful. And sometimes that me culture is like the biggest poison to something like that. Exactly. And I think my discernment came short when I didn't recognize that the me culture had gotten in the way of the team culture. And I continued to try to work within a team that had a me component. That was dysregulating that balance of support. Yeah, and, and I mean, sometimes it is so hard to discover that, to discern that. Mm -hmm. Sometimes the only way to discern it is to experience a team setting where that is not a part and you all of a sudden go, Hey, wait, <laughs> there's something wrong in this other team. I'm a part of now, now I can sense the difference. What is that thing? You can start to kind of unravel it or having somebody like a therapist help you kind of I don't know, I guess it's a zooming out of sorts of, of like, okay, I'm distancing myself a little bit so that I can see 
What are the mm. components? How are they interacting with each other? How are they not interacting with each other? Um, Because I think one of the, one of the strongly felt experiences of a weekend, such as the one that I've just been on, is this deep, deep need to, for the togetherness, to be with other women in this togetherness spirit of, of the word that comes is, is acceptance but that's one of those words that nowadays we're kind of bandying it about so much that it it feels kind of wishy-washy but but that here I am and everybody says wow there you are and just just to to be in that to to let me be in that with everything that I am and everything that I'm not mm -hmm. you know being welcomed them. as okay this is I am as as I am I kind of want to believe that that's possible in both groups of women on a retreat and partners yeah. and colleagues on and a work family and family. I'd like to believe that that isn't limited to just the group of women in retreat, although it's beautiful there, but it begs the question, why is it? so hard to find and i and and i mean this is where i actually for the past 10 years it isn't hard to find in my life i have a lot of this in my life So going to this retreat for me was not one of those <gasps> coming up to get, you know, air after feeling like I've been drowning for years. I've never, you know, it's like, no, I have this on a weekly basis. I have it in, in Zoom settings. I have it in physical settings. So it is something that it's available, it's there. You can, you can have it, you can make it, you, ha you can create it, you can invite it, you can birth it. It is possible. It is. I just think that it's really good for me to hear that because after having a lot of experience where I have tried to birth it and it has gone wrong, 
I approach it with more fear than I'd like to approach it with. This is why the vulnerability hangover. Because I recognize on one level, unless I keep approaching it, it's never going to appear. And I have to be brave in spite of the fear of it being weaponized against me to do it again and again and again. And at the same time, after the bravery I exhibit, the aftermath is excruciating for me at this point. And I think that that's why it's so important to gather a volume of positive experience, a bulk of positive experience that can override the negative that I've had. Yeah, I mean, if you have a bucket of paint that's black and you put in one drop of white, it's not going to make a difference. But if you put that black bucket in a barrel of white, it's going to be... It's going to make a difference. Very light gray. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And the, and the, like, getting together and like you said about your friend's bachelorette party, going deep. Oh, there is something so nourishing in it because it it is truly like a part of this the life-death life cycle that Clarissa Pinkola Estes speaks about in her Women Who Run With The Wolves book. Who does? Clarissa Pinkola Estes. Women okay. Who Run With The Wolves. Definitely a book for you. Definitely a book for you, I think. So the life-death life cycle of everything. Nothing Nothing is alive that isn't alive because something has died. Everything is a part of this cycle. You know, a leaf falls to the ground and turns into soil by the worms and then it turns into a carrot that I then eat so that I, you know, it's like round and round it goes. And that the sharing, the sharings that can take place, it's like when I hear other people sharing their deeply held beliefs, needs, wishes, wants, fears, desires, shames, experiences, all of that. I am helped because I don't then have to go through the entire catalog of everything within me, you know, because I have a couple that are top of mind for me, but then somebody else shares something that's deeper down for me, but by them sharing it, it gets up into the light and maybe, yes, precisely, it can, oh, poof. Yeah, then I don't have to kind of carry the burden of it, carry the 
the weight of it that way. So just people sharing. There's a book I read lately. And it's by this American journalist who wrote for many years about food. Michael Pollan? About the foods. Yep. Michael Pollan. And the, I can't remember the, I could look it up, but the book is about psychedelics. It's his last book. I have it upstairs. I have not read it yet. I got so much out of it because he talks about taking part in a peyote ceremony, mm. which is the cactus-derived psychedelic. And he talks about how in the Native American culture, you never do this alone. Mm. You always do it with a shaman in a group that is there to do exactly what you described mm. and how the Native Americans perception of healing is that of in a group mm. and not that of alone. And that's why they are so jealously guarding that from the white people who to their perception will appropriate it and make it like a pill but the pill itself is it's just only a very small part of the much bigger entity that this healing ceremony is and i i have a friend who is a physician who does research and he got this really big grant about uh, that like from the National Institutes of Health which is a very very like reputable grant to have and he has like millions of dollars to do research on on like how to prevent Native Americans from the opioid addiction that is really rampant in those communities. And he's, before he's gone to the Native American tribes, he has worked with other minorities, like um, people from South American countries who live in this country and other like sort of disadvantaged minorities. And he was talking to me about how they wanted to translate some of the work they've done with those other minorities to be relevant to the Native American culture. And he said, we have to actually completely rewrite it because even the sense or the term of self-help is an oxymoron in their culture. And it is so difficult at times to see people who are little islands of emotional pain and they're just surrounded by nothing and they won't go and migrate to another person for mutual support 
and instead they will like shoot poison at other people because we are not especially people in this country that I live in right now everything is about the self and the how you can do it with your own hands yeah there's nothing better than being a self-made man or woman is there and it's like nobody is on whose shoulders <laughs> precise precisely like no, but nobody is it's like it's exactly. not possible we cannot exactly you have to have support from others to be a self-made exactly person and it's been such a painful lesson for me to make that discernment of when I recognize that self-made is only a partial truth as much as self-denying in the context of a team is a partial truth as well but but it, um, so it makes me wonder because there's like if you look at the self-help industry right there is so much you are to practice self-love and it is self-help and it is it's like you say it's like self-respect self 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 you can add tack any word onto it and we can kind of have it and i think it is what you're pointing to it's it turns into an impossible task because we become in and through the eyes of others I become because of you. You become because of me. Precisely. We are not singular entities that exist in a vacuum without any dependencies and connections and links. There was a, there's a Swedish pod called How Can We? How Can We? And then David Modiri, who hosts it, invites other people or you know, and, and quite often, like, you know, he's talked to Nazis and, and racists. And so it can be quite contentious of sort. But it's like, how can we talk about X, Y, Z? He had a woman once. I don't remember what, what she was. But she spoke about dependency. She says, that's one of the biggest lies of all in the society we have. That to be dependent is bad, weak, wrong, something that you should not at all want to strive for. She said, that is so fucking wrong. It's it like, is. I'm dependent. Yay! Because <laughs> again, we need to depend on others. That is what, again, the same thing. So it's like, 
Yeah. That is how I turn into a person. That is how I turn into, like, pardon the weave. There is no weave if everybody's a single entity that does not Thread. connect. It does not happen. It can't hold anything. But if you make a yep. strong enough weave, it can even hold water. It can, exactly. it can smother fire. It can stop the wind or make the wind move you. You know, it's like there is nothing as strong as a weave. Which is us together. Yep. And it can also be misused like the fascists. Because fasci is actually, that's where the word comes from. Fasci is a thread. Oh. And many of them together make a strong, strong bound. bound. So there oh, it how is interesting. Also... So it has to be really, it's easy to also misuse. Everything is, isn't it? Yeah. Everything but is. I think you're right that dependence, it's been almost like used like an insult. Precise. Oh, you're so dependent. Oh, I don't want to be well, dependent yeah, so are on you, anybody. Actually. We all depend on the water being piped into our house and the electricity. Yeah. Yeah. And the air being breathable. Yeah. And the road to our house being yeah. drivable or walkable or yeah. Yeah. that there be public transportation at, at, at accessing it. Yeah. So it's a bit of a myth and I think it's been oftentimes misused. Yes. Just as much as the interdependence and the strength in, in numbers can be misused. Yeah. Which comes down to your favorite word of discernment. Yeah. And that was one, that was one of the things that I so enjoyed in this twilight retreat, how over and over and over almost ridiculously often the notion that you get to choose here you use your personal discernment here's a ceremony we're going to be doing this sit down unless you feel like standing stand up unless you feel like sitting close your eyes unless you don't want to close your eyes breathe slowly unless you feel like breathing more you know rapid robustly so constantly constantly giving actually voicing this fact that here's a way to do this but yep. i'm not telling you in such a way that you have to do this i'm telling exactly. you so that you can feel and discern for yourself do i want to close my eyes or not do I want to get up and share or not? Do I have anything to say or not? Do I dare look or not? All of it constantly. So they were hammering this home. Like I said, it almost turns ridiculous to say it in every, in every, like, in every direction at the start of every ceremony or, or workshop, like peace. But so important because it made me see 
how little of that there is and how that's another muscle. No, it's the same fucking muscle. It's the discernment mm -hmm. muscle. It is the same muscle. It is this thing. What do I need in the moment? What does my body say in the moment? Do I feel like standing up? Do I need to move? Do I need to shut off, turn away, go inwards for a little bit? So interesting to, to kind of, to take the meta perspective on that and, and just see how so much of society is not that. Which of mm -hmm. course is why they, in the twilight retreat, brought in this shadow figure of actually letting people discern for themselves what do i need right now because what do i want it is so lacking yeah. Oof. yeah i have found that Oftentimes, I have taught myself to not be in touch with my visceral body feel. You and about at least four billion others, I'm guessing. Yeah. I'm one of them. Oh, yeah. And what a task to undertake it is to learn to respond sooner and sooner to that visceral body feel. Because I have cult been cultured and then further cultured myself to have that as one of the things, like you say, that we push down and bury under other things. And not be aware that our heart is palpitating or we're taking such shallow breaths that it's not reaching our entire body that oxygen isn't enough in our being yeah, yeah and it's been so... it's been helped i've been i've been for the past two weeks 10 days maybe before the retreat i have been writing my response every morning to two questions that i've gotten from I think the fourth chapter of Women Who Run With the Wolves, which is, the first one is, what do I want? And the second one is, what does my deeper self desire? Mm -hmm. I wonder why those have to be separate. And I don't why? think they do have to be separate in a such, but Precisely. it is like peeling an onion of sense. It's like, because I can sometimes, I respond to the first one in a very shallow way. Surface. Surface level. And the second question just brings me down. Sometimes I'm deep already in the first. Then I hardly I, need the second one. Because I'm already there, right? But But sometimes I'm helped by that first one because it feels like, okay, I can just... I can be a little bit light and fluffy up here on the surface. I don't need to burn down. And then 
when I've gotten that out of my system, I'm ready to respond to the deeper one. But I have not been asking myself this, like, period, before. You have not this. been asking yourself those what questions do I want? before? And I think to, to kind of connect it to your aspect, I think that has been part of my way of, my way of being cultured into the teams that I have been a part of. It's like that has been my way that I am not allowed to mm -hmm. look at yeah. what do I need. So it's been a team membership serving others at the expense of me. And it doesn't have to be. No, Neither one of those extremes has to be. Precisely. Precisely. It doesn't have to be. Yeah. This is great because I feel like we can go on with the rest of our week or day. It's only morning for me. Being more focused on that balance between the team at my expense and me at the team's expense and not allow either one of those to permeate. I invented a new word the other day. I wrote something in a Twitter DM and I wrote ever the pessimist. The post. <laughs> and then I didn't I didn't look at it and then I got back. Oh, love the the word invention. And I was like, what word invention? I read, oh, ever the pessimist. So it's like possibility and optimist. Pessimist. Yes. Um, and that's what it feels like. That's what, like you say, yeah, you can go about. It doesn't have to be that or that. There is a whole field in between. The yes so, is in the no. The yes is in the no. It's like there's, there's, there's so much to discover. And when, when you, you use the about... discernment there, yeah. then it's again, it's like, okay, there's that to discover, but not right now for me. Thank you. But yeah, no, thank exactly. you. The no's exactly. live in me too. Yeah, exactly. When you were talking about the retreat and how each one of you was in your own spot in this constellation. And how from that spot, you could be a part of this woven fabric. I lost my train of thought. Give me a second. Hmm. Yes, that we are accepted 
exactly as we are and exactly as we are not. And how, oh yes, that was my point. How we are accepted as women rather than categorized by age or by spot in your journey. And it occurred to me that this categorization, it's meant to accentuate our differences. And all of us as a world, as women, was meant to show our commonality. And I wonder, how much do we need to accentuate our differences? Why does it have to be a part of my sense of self to be different from you? Why does that even have to be an element in my sense of self is to somehow distinguish myself from another human. Can't I be self even if I am nearly identical to another human? Yeah, I wonder how much that is. cultural and how much of that is is um what is innate there and what is not innate there is it a part of the cognitive load of of being human with the brain that we have that that is a part that happens or a part of the western civilization load Precisely. Is, is it, is it a biological aspect? Is it a cultural aspect? Is it a both and, um, probably both and a little bit. Most thing. Yeah. But I was thinking, um, my friend Annie, who is a Finnish singer songwriter. She, she has this song. I met her in Forward Link, which is, uh, it used to be the alumni space for people who had taken akimba workshops. I met her there because I was speaking about shame or she was speaking about shame, something about shame. She had written a song called Deep. That is, oh, so speaks to me. But then she... She's been releasing songs um, regularly ever since, because it's, that's two years ago that I met her first. She has a song that's called Every Woman, that where the, the, the lyric is, I am every woman. I'm every woman. And... She she made a video of this, and when she did that, she she sent questions out to to women that she knew, and I responded, and asked us to film ourselves, you know, singing, miming to parts of her singing. song, and she put 
you know, it's like this part or that part or that part. And so I did that and, and others did that and turned it into a, a, a gorgeous video. But then a couple of months ago when, you know, the Roe v. Wade, uh, Supreme Court in the U.S. and overturning those decisions on or, or rulings on abortion, etc. She made a new video with all of the selfies, like, so it's a roar, it's the same song, but mm -hmm. it's a new video. And I've been, I've been listening to that these few, last few days, I've been watching it. And it is just I, that I am every woman and I every would love woman it if is you me. share it with me. I will share it with you. It is, it is a, it's very evocative. And, and after this weekend, this song feels very, rather, I feel very raw when, when I hear it, when I look at it, when I see it, I feel very, it's like I'm, I'm permeable. I'm open. I am truly every woman. Vulnerable. I am very vulnerable in it and it feels good to be that. It feels good because it feels as if, again, the weave of, of my life, it's like it, it's, it's gotten stronger because there's come, you know, there's 19 new threads coming into yes weaving in in the weave that is like this is my part of the plot kind of right it's like so yeah that's true i think i have to go what a perfect way to end it i will link to and a song every woman and i will send it to you as well i have really enjoyed this conversation a lot it felt really good to be able to articulate things that nebulously sit in here and to hear your perspective it's funny because i felt in the beginning of the conversation like we were kind of in two different spots and even from here I felt like we managed to really come to this mutual space and that was very nourishing to me so thank you for doing this thank you for playing with me it was a lot of fun and somehow, that's where it ends up. And I don't think it's, you know, it's not strange. It's not wrong. It's not weird that we start where we're at and that that is different places. Because it's like, because it is kind of, you know, I've been doing my thing today and you've been doing your thing. And then you kind of you jump into the water and then, oh. Here we are. Yeah. It precisely. Yeah. So you make a great day. Thank you. And uh, 
You do too. Well, and I look forward to the next time. I do too. Take care. Bye. I have a book that's called Doing Gentle with an Edge that I released as an ebook and an audiobook in the spring of 2021. And I thought that I would be holding a book launch for it because it's a big thing. For me, it is a big thing to, to have a book out there. But I procrastinated and procrastinated and procrastinated and never made it to actually having a book launch, which I rectified at the end of July of 2022. I did host a Zoom book launch party, which has been great fun because it also made me share the fact that there is a book out there called Doing Gentle with an Edge. And it's, it's a good book. I say so, which maybe you think, well, she has to say that because she wrote it. But that's what I hear as well. That's the feedback I'm getting as well. So I hope you check it out. You can find it on tankespian.com slash shop as an ebook or an audiobook. You can also find it on Amazon, but only as an ebook. So I hope you check it out. It would make me really, really happy. And if you do, and if you read it or listen to it, and you want to tell me what you think, what you felt, what you've experienced.